With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What are you talking about? This conversation can serve purpose. The long away, awaited day has finally arrived. It's Anthony Samarco Day here on Day Talking. Anthony Mitchell Samarco is in, and we're going to focus on Boston area town. And I kind of teased it on the Dan Ray program. And now Anthony will unveil the town yeah. we're going to talk about. I want to thank you for having me. And we're going to speak tonight a little bit about Jamaica Plain. Jamaica Plain. Excellent. I hold in my hand. The then and now Jamaica Plain book is beautiful. What's is. on the cover, Anthony? Well, it's actually Center Street, which is now the site of J.P. Licks. And, of course, many of us know Center Street. It's a thriving commercial community. It has everything from boomerangs to J.P. Licks to all sorts of different restaurants. But Center Street was truly one of the center streets in what was then known as Roxbury. Jamaica Plain was the Jamaica end of Roxbury. When it was annexed to Boston in 1874, when West Roxbury was annexed, it was a sub-neighborhood of West Roxbury along with Rosendale, the area itself became in some ways a streetcar suburb. And the concept was between 1874 and the time of World War I, one began to see the housing stock at Jamaica Plain going the gamut from magnificent one-family houses designed by very well-known architects, two-family houses, and even three-deckers. And it evolved into a neighborhood in some ways that today has been reinvented as a place not only to live but as a destination. So I think in sometimes, you know, the neighborhoods of the city go through demographic shifts, but Jamaica Plain has become a place of choice. You know, I want to point out one thing that makes Jamaica Plain cool, and I wish other towns would adopt, is there are a lot of independent shops, not a lot of chains. I agree. One of the concepts here is it isn't just restaurants, and they really do go the gamut. Um, Turkish restaurants, Thai, Chinese, Acapulco, which is my very favorite for Mexican food. But the whole idea is you're right. Small shops are something that not only allow you to shop locally, but also to support people that have children in the public schools, also own property. And in some ways, by patronizing them, in lieu of the larger chain stores that sometimes we can't avoid um, not patronizing. But these are things in some ways that truly make a community special and unique. And my concept is if you can shop locally, one should. So Jamaica Plain is not a town, it's a neighborhood. It's a neighborhood of the city of Boston. And one had to realize that when Boston became a municipality in 1822, the city itself was what is downtown Boston. 
the North End, the South End, the West End, Beacon Hill, and the Back Bay. But in the period of 1868, Roxbury would be annexed to Boston. But previous to Roxbury's annexation, it had already split. And Roxbury, which was the old town settled in 1630 by the Puritans, would remain an independent town. But the town of West Roxbury had split away in 1851. West Roxbury, that went from Jamaica Plain all the way to the Dedham Line, was something in some ways that was more bucolic and rural, whereas the city of Roxbury, as it evolved, became more industrial. And we saw not only the Stony Brook Valley with numbers of beer breweries and different types of concerns that were instigated by the German immigrants, we began to see the population swelling. So the annexation, beginning with the city of Roxbury in 1868, would eventually absorb not just the town of Dorchester in 1870, the city of Charlestown in 1874, the town of Brighton, which would include a sub-neighborhood of Alston in 1874, but also in 1874, the town of West Roxbury that included Jamaica Plain and Roslindale. So in that period, we began to realize it went from really a country town into an inner-city neighborhood that would evolve thanks to the municipal aspects of the city. 617-254-1030, as you know, when Anthony's in, you're always welcome to call. I feel the warm embrace of Jay talking, especially when Anthony's on. Wow. <laughs> I think in a lot of ways, many people look at Jamaica Plain as a place that is not just a bedroom community. Many people live there, but it's also something that people go there to dine. And I think in some ways, when I look at it, I realize how often I go. But it's also a place that was once known as the Eden of America. I was going to ask you, Can you imagine? what, uh, how they got that well, sobriquet. Well, when you think of an Eden, you think of all these wonderful, lush green spaces and gardens. But of course, what is Jamaica Pond? This wonderful area that had once been an ice-cutting pond with wonderful buildings along the sides that actually allowed for the storage of ice during the warm season. But you also had places such as Forest Hill Cemetery. Now, one doesn't always think of a cemetery as basically a place as green space, but Forest Hills was the first rural or arboretum cemetery to be laid out in the city of Boston. The first in New England was Mount Auburn, which was on the Cambridge-Watertown line. But the idea was in 1848... Henry Dearborn, who was the mayor of the city of Roxbury, would actually lay out a new municipal cemetery and called Forest Hills. It was something that was owned by the city until a few years later it was sold into what became known as a proprietorship or a cemetery that was owned by the people that purchased the lots. Today it's operated by uh, George Milley, a wonderful man who actually does not only the Yeoman's work as the president, but a wonderful staff and a groundskeeping crew that keep Forest Hill Cemetery as a true arboretum cemetery. And with over 200 acres of cultivated land, yes, it is a cemetery, but it also has Lake Hibiscus in the center with swans and ducks, magnificent shade trees, arborvitae, uh, dogwoods, all sorts of conifers. And it actually allows, in some ways, for people to commune with nature. So when Jamaica Plain got the wonderful connotation of the Eden of America, 
you had to realize they were part of the Emerald Necklace. It connected not only the Boston Common and the LA of the Commonwealth Avenue Mall, it would go out through the Fenway and then to Jamaica Plain. So Frederick Law Olmsted and later Olmsted, Olmsted and Elliott, which was a successive firm to Frederick Law Olmsted, would maintain this aspect of green space right through Jamaica Plain that would eventually continue on, which was Route 203, but also we'd see in some ways along Columbia Road in Dorchester that would then connect to Marine Park in South Boston. The Emerald Necklace was the major feature of that green space. And as the Eden of America, Jamaica Plain was fully vetted as the place that had the wonderful suburban aspects, but was a neighborhood of the city of Boston. I hold in my hand his Jamaica Plain book. Do you have it yet? Well, it's a good value, and I think you should all get the entire collection. It's uh, I, I keep telling Anthony, uh, this is the last time I'll say it, Anthony, I promise. He needs to have a bound, complete set of all 80, 80 volumes that you can purchase with a nice leather or pleather carrying carrying case. Maybe vinyl at this point. Vinyl, stage. okay. But the funny thing is, um, you have the book, which is Jamaica Plain Then and Now. Yes. And that is a book that I co-wrote with Charlie Rosenberg. Charlie Rosenberg is a wonderful photographer, and in some ways what he did was to capture the essence of the original photographs. And they came from a wide spectrum of places. I have a very dear friend, Frank Cheney, who recently died. He was a transportation historian. So there are wonderful pictures in there of not just the streetcars on the streets of Jamaica Plain, but also such things as, of course, Forest Hill Station. Now, when I was a young child, I would always go to Forest Hills eventually to take the bus to my school. And I think in some ways that Forest Hills, which was designed by Ernest Wadsworth Longfellow, who was a very well-known architect and the nephew of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the great author and poet, was somebody in some ways that created these wonderful stations along the elevated railway. Now, if you're a specific age, and I hate to say it, I'll be 62 in October, I remember the elevated railway, and everybody fondly called it the L in Boston, the squealing wheels of the train, the elevated aspect that you were up above, two, three stories, and going it kind of into Boston. shook like a wooden roller coaster. It did, but it never <laughs> fell. <laughs> but my favorite spot was always to look out that one door at the very front of the train, and you could just see the depth of vision as you passed through, not just Jamaica Plain and Roxbury and the South End, but then eventually as one emerged from the tunnel under Boston into what is Charlestown and then basically to Sullivan Station. Longfellow himself built many of those elevated waiting rooms. And you might think of them, not just Forest Hills, but maybe you remember Northampton Street, a wonderful building of pressed metal, wonderful windows that were leaded glass, uh, a copper roof, and of course these air ventilation shafts that look like almost like a cathedral, that they had these wonderful little aspects of, you know, copper work. But you realize in some ways that Jamaica Plain would actually only be opened in 1912. And though the elevated railway, which actually had opened at the turn of the 20th century and revolutionized how people would actually take public transportation, 
had originally ended at Dudley Street Station. But because of the increase in population, Boston's population, say, in 1900, was close to 700,000 people, within a decade, it had actually increased even more. And we realized that they actually added things such as Eggleston Station, Green Street, and Forest Hill Station, all in Jamaica Plain. So Jamaica Plain became, in essence, not just a neighborhood of the city, but a place where people lived and might commute to Boston for either business or pleasure in the evening or weekends. And I think in a lot of ways, transportation was paramount. In these books, what I've tried to do is to chronicle how transportation went the gamut from stagecoaches to horse-drawn streetcars to electric streetcars and eventually trolleys. Today, Jamaica Plain is serviced by buses. And of course, we still have the silver line But the idea here is that transportation was the major impetus for people to actually move out of the center city into these suburban neighborhoods, Dorchester, West Roxbury, Brighton, as well as Jamaica Plain. And in that instance, it was something that people reveled in. Let's talk to Joe and Millis. Joe, you're the first hanging out with Anthony Samarco talking about Jamaica Plain. It's good to have you with us. Hi, Joe. Good to be here, Bradley. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, good evening, Mr. DeMarco. Uh, I'm fine, thank you. Great oration on old um, old Boston and the surrounding areas. You you really bring it to life, even over the radio. Thank you. Um, thank you. Now, I um, I have fond memories of riding the um, the elevated from Forest Hills on into South Station. Um, Especially in the winter time, yes. just the sparks coming off the tracks and the snow falling just created just the most delightful I know scene. And even up to the windows of the second floor of the or the third floor of the um, apartment buildings pulling in was I it was just incredible. I did too. I used to actually. I, I don't think I was a voyeur, but on the other hand, when I was a young child people would wave to me and yeah. I would say to myself, one could almost reach out and touch them. But it was a sense that I didn't know them and they didn't know me, but I was someone who was acknowledged as a child to be waved to. I think it, it was funny. Yeah. It was almost like you were participating in that one little brief moment of right. their life. Right. That's right. I agree. And that's it, what it was kind of cool. I know it's fun. Um, I had a question about um, uh, Jamaica Pond. Um, you, you mentioned that there were ice houses along the side, but there's some really magnificent homes that overlooked yes. the pond. Was that pond always that size, or was it smaller or bigger at its creation? Well, Jamaica Pond is a very important thing, even in its own right. It was a kettle pond, which meant that it was actually a natural pond. It was enlarged somewhat, because by the late 18th, early 19th century, there was what was called the Jamaica Plain Aqueduct Company. And water was brought from Jamaica Plain in hollowed-out wood trunks of trees (laughs) as basically providing water for the city. And during that period of time, it did quite well. But, of course, our ancestors also harvested ice in the winter months. Sounds peculiar, but even in the 18th and early 19th century, people would save it. But, of course, ice melts. 
So during the period of the 1840s and 50s, after Tudor had actually created as the Ice King the ability to keep ice during the warmer weather, you began to see these wooden buildings built on both sides looking towards Brookline of what were called ice houses. There are photographs in this book that actually show the scoring of the ice by horse-drawn cutting blades. And what they did was they had a huge block of ice, and they'd be brought to the buildings, they would have a conveyor belt, and into the building they went. Well, they weren't just wooden buildings. They were wooden buildings that had double walls, they had sawdust between the walls, and then the ice would actually be wrapped in sawdust. And, of course, when you freeze huge amounts of ice together, it all adds to that continued aspect. But they sound like tinderboxes they were. <laughs> because yeah. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. They were wood. But during no, the- I remember from a previous discussion, you you mentioned Tudor. Is he the um, claim to fame of the Tudor house? or Not only the Tudor house. The style but- homes? No, 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 no. He, he was a man who basically was somebody who thought he could sell ice. And what he did was to actually laden ships at Tudor's Wharf in Charlestown and they went off to India, and they went off to the West Indies and the Caribbean. Granted, half of it melted by the time they got there, but can you imagine being in that type of a climate and then having a piece of ice? Wow. So anyway. Fascinating. In the Um, book, you can see a row of these ice houses. Yes, that's a print that's actually done by Gleason's Pictorial Drawing Room Companion. But in the 20th century... One of the things is you had to realize surrounding the pond were magnificent mansions. These were taken by eminent domain. Only a few survive, and they're actually on Perkins Street facing the pond. Right. But that was when Olmsted, Olmsted, and Elliot, the successor firm to Frederick Law Olmsted, created what would become this bucolic Jamaica pond. No longer was it used as an ice well, harvesting pond, but it now was a place of recreation. It's just a beautiful area. If you would indulge me one more question. Of course. Um, I know that the trolley used to run through West Roxbury all the way to Dedham at the um, VA hospital and kind of make a circle there. Correct. Um, And I know my dad told me as a kid there was all kinds of bathhouses and canoe houses along the Charles River. Um, What type of – was that really the recreation area? Well, of the day? Well, you know, West Roxbury evolved a little bit different than Jamaica Plain. We're Jamaica about the same age, Mr. DeMarco. I'll be 62 in August. Ah, your voice. I wouldn't have thought you a day over 61. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things is when you took that streetcar and you went down Center Street and Spring Street in West Roxbury, there was a loop, and that loop actually allowed a second train that would take you out to various places. But Route 109 just on the edge of Dedham and West Roxbury were the canoe houses. Canoeing was something that had been long known and enjoyed by many people, but there were many canoe houses that actually would have all 
sorts of canoe races. And in the book of Jamaica of uh, West Roxbury, I do have pictures of uh, Mayor Curley, the mayor of the city of Boston, giving out loving cups to the people that won on the races at Spring Street. That's got to be a cool picture. Joe, appreciate it. Uh, great call. Thank you very much. Yeah. Joe was the first. Uh, Joe broke the ice, so to speak. We're with Anthony Samarco talking Jamaica Plain. Anthony Mitchell Samarco. If you're near a computer now, why don't you just Google him and see all the books available? It's so easy to just click, click, <laughs> click. So easy. And they're such a good deal. They're beautiful books. You'll recognize the photos. Once you get one, you'll want to collect them all, just like Barbie dolls. Oh, my gosh. Now we have Karen in Wisconsin. Thanks for calling us at 617-254-1030. Karen, hello. Say hi to Anthony. Hi, Anthony. How, How are, are you? you? I'm very well. How are you? Good. Good. Um, just, Bradley, just for the sake of um, other people, can I ask um, you, Anthony, how old is um, your dog, Hutch? Hutchinson is 11 and a half. On July? He is a, uh, wow. July 4th. Wow. He's a King Charles Spaniel of Blenheim, and he is oh, the greatest little oh, guy. He's beautiful. Oh, thank you. How do you know him? Well, I just... Pardon? How do you know him? Well, I saw a picture of him. Ah, I know he has his own Facebook page, but I was wondering. Oh, I don't know that. I think I... I think I... Uh, you know, anyway, I just want to say I have lived in JP for quite a number of years, but it was way back before they, I mean, you know the way it is now and the way it was then. And I lived in northern, uh, the northern part, like Chestnut Street. Yes. What was uh, off of, uh, oh, no, that's. Where's Chestnut Street? I, Hyde Square. Hyde Square is on the fringe of what is Center Street. It's now the area where the MSPCA is located. Oh, okay. But the thing is, you're yeah, right. Yeah, it's right. There are parts of Jamaica Plain that have changed drastically, but Jamaica Plain has always, in the 20th century, had a dichotomy. It's had very wealthy, it's had the middle class, and it's had the working people. Right. I, That's I, why I liked it. You know, it's very diverse even yes. then. You know, and, and it also had housing stock that allowed, you know, mansions as well as three-deckers or apartment buildings. And that's what right. truly a, an urban city neighborhood should be. It should be people of all walks of life, all ethnicities, all religions. It should be a neighborhood of people. Karen, when did, what years did you live there in JP? Uh, like 80 to, mm, let me think, uh, from 1980... That's all Maybe. right. Early eighties. Got it. That's nice. Eighty-four. Yeah, something like that. Did you? Have I, a... I guess I lived all around. I guess I'm still listening to the podcast. I lived in Cambridge too. You know. Good. So, hey, how, so you lived in JP, and now you live in Wisconsin. What? What? How did you make get out to Wisconsin? What happened? Oh, that's a long story. That's too much. I I just came home to help my mother die, and the rest is. One big, big mess. No, oh, well, <laughs> but we'll you know. sort that out another another yeah. day. But you have your memories yeah. of Jamaica Plain. <laughs> yeah, you have your memories of Jamaica Plain. Yes, I loved Jamaica Plain, and right before I left there, I was um, walking down there with a friend, and we she was real good at picking out the turtle heads. 
and that were sticking out that uh, you know Jamaican I was pond. busy looking at something else yeah Jamaica pond it's but anyway I I just wanted to say I lived and I I used to walk to Eggleston Square to go to work and take that you know Elevator orange railway. line yeah. right past Eisenhower and so wow. brings back memories well, thank yeah. you for sharing Karen okay take care yeah, I, I would say I'm a very good turtle head picker outer. I saw a bunch of turtle turtles at Jamaica Pond on the Sunday. Well, it's so funny. When I was a child, I had a turtle named Chippy, and Chippy actually had to be returned to the water because I thought it was it became, Snappy. It was a Snappy. No, Chippy was the dog. Snappy was the turtle, and we brought Snappy out to Jamaica Pond. So maybe it's one of his descendants yeah. that you saw the other day. And they still, I walked around the pond, and. I was just shocked by how much beauty is oh, right in there in the city. You know, but did for you us. see the wonderful pavilions right on the pond? Uh, you the mean w- the, the waddle and daub? They almost look like a Tudor-esque type thing. Yes, the boathouses. And they were designed by William Downs Austin. He was a major architect in the city of Boston. Not only to design the um, speedway, which is in Alston, that hopefully is going to be restored. Speedway? Know, it's a speedway where there was horse racing. Because there's a Speedway Street. Correct. Which is right by the foam rubber store. That's right. Which was right out in back of the old WBZ. It was exactly. It was adjacent to the Harvard Stadium. And during the period of the early 20th century, there were these gentlemen's driving clubs. My grandfather belonged to the Dorchester Gentlemen's Driving Club. And you would actually race your one-seated sulky with your horse. Did you say they're going to rebuild it? Well, I had done a program with W uh, with um, Boston Herald, and we had interviewed various people, but there are all sorts of proposals to make it into something that would actually be repurposed for not only housing but also for shopping, and it's trying to attract people to stay in that area. Oh, so it's not going to be ho- sulky racing? No. What, wouldn't that that be would fun? be cool. I know. I think sometimes people don't realize that horses in the city – well, they don't always make the most sense today, but on the other hand, there could be all sorts of farms. We have a horse farm only a couple of um, hundred feet away from us in Austerville, and every day we see the horses. and It's a very calming yep. effect. They're out there grazing, and I think it's quite fun. Since we had gotten away from Jamaica Plain for a moment and we are in Alston at Speedway Street. I always thought, by the way, it was Speedway Street because there was a Speedway gas station there. Oh. So I'm wrong. Well, oh. that's not bad. I mean. Uh, that was, yeah, I guess. It's kind of bad. It's pathetic. So it's pathetic. <laughs> you go down, you continue down Western Ave, outbound, away towards Market Street. Yes. And right at the corner, the confluence of Western Ave and Market Street, at the, on the right-hand side with these low, very old wooden buildings. What were those? Well, originally they were part of the Speedway buildings. Okay. Not were only they the horse, pad, horse, the pad, horse paddocks. Okay. And the building itself was the superintendent's building. But then in recent past, in the 1950s through the 1990s, it was the MDC headquarters. They would actually have the MDC there. Okay. And those are the buildings designed by William Downs Austin. They're so important that today Boston Landmarks Commission is actually reviewing them for landmark status. Oh, good, because they're very much in disrepair. Well, there are, but directly across the street, which had once been a tool and die company, um, is now actually a high-rise, five-story luxury condominium building. 
So the concept is, how do you retain something when the neighborhood is changing demographically? And in that instance, by reconditioning and repurposing these buildings, not just restoration, but repurposing them so that they can integrate within that neighborhood. In Jamaica Plain, you have to realize the whole aspect is these neighborhoods, not just Jamaica Plain, not just the South End, and not just Charlestown, became different places after the elevated railway was demolished. Now, you had to realize, as the earlier caller said, you could reach out and touch somebody looking at them in a second-story yeah. window. But the whole idea was it took up and blighted these major thoroughfares, either connecting Boston or allowing you to go out to the suburbs. By removing those, what you were doing was you were recreating daylight. And what happened was Jamaica Plain became even more of a Garden of Eden. It was not just a diverse neighborhood in the 1980s and 1990s, but then by the turn of the 20th century, the housing stock was being subdivided. And what was once a three-decker now became three condominiums. Today, price is a cost prohibitive. I look at the Sunday Globe and I realize in some ways the real estate section shows that many of these houses, granted, magnificent mansions around Jamaica Pond or Moss Hill, but also the three-deckers that have now been converted to condos are now the things that people look at and that real estate is the solidifying factor for the economy. You have people that are owners that live in their property. They're not property that's rented out and the owner lives elsewhere. So you have a sense of reinvestment in a community. So you have a, a nice tax base. And it's also a stabilizing force. Yeah. So Jamaica Plain is a great example some ways, but then you have all of this open space, the Emerald Necklace, Jamaica Pond, Forest Hill Cemetery, and you begin to realize, and I constantly go through Forest Hills, and you begin to see all the construction that's gone on for over three, four years I was devastated when they cut down these wonderful trees from the 1930s and 40s. Granted, they've now laid out new trees. The saplings themselves are fairly large, but it's going to take years for them to grow to the height that it once was. But at least the traffic configuration seems a little bit easier. But you begin to say in some ways the traffic in the city is horrendous. And maybe by reinvesting in the public sector's um, transportation, the Forest Hill Station might encourage people more so to take public transportation than to drive. Before the break, uh, clarify, I want to clarify Speedway again. So there was a, a big, what, like a mile or half a mile track? A mile track. A mile track. Oval, oval. I'm trying to figure out where, was it? Basically laid out between Storo Drive and Western Ave. I, not Storo oh, Drive. I mean, not Storo Drive. Whatever. What's the street that BZ is on? I know it. Anyone? <laughs> anyone? Anyone? But it is that street. Yes. Uh, what is it? Uh, Soldiers Field Soldiers Road. Soldiers Field Road. Yes. Is it? Was it? Laid out like a circus maximus exactly. right between those two. Do you know there are photographs in the Boston Public Library that actually show a man dressed as a gladiator. And actually with four white horses racing the really? speedway. Okay, and one of those. What do you call them? I'll post it on your site tomorrow. 
But you had to realize it was a one-mile track, and it was something that was for enjoyment. People would go, and there was a grandstand. People would actually watch people racing their horses. But you had to realize it was just one horse and a one-seated sulky. It was usually the family horse. Yeah. And the idea in that instance, you could still have fun, but these gentlemen driving clubs were something in some ways. I have a little trophy. It's really lovely. It's a loving cup. But I gave all of my yearbooks for the gentlemen driving clubs to the University of Massachusetts Special Archives. But I think one of the ideas is that you have this remaining, and there were so many of them in and around Boston, Reedville Racetrack. There was Dorchester's Town Field. And then they had them in the suburbs as well, Medford, Reading, Somerville. So I think sometimes when you say certain areas, people will always have that wonderful connection with the overlay of the past with the new. And Jamaica Plain is a perfect example, utilizing the past history of this wonderful community to reinvent and repurpose itself into the 21st century. After the break, let's get into some of the really cool photos of, sure. of your Jamaica Plain book. I see the Tudor, the boathouses that's yes. still there and look oh, exactly yes. the same. Exactly. And uh, maybe for a bit in the second hour, we'll let folks to decide what they want to talk about, which town that they would like to ask a question about, maybe their town or the town they grew up in. Or maybe we could do a program on some of these other towns. Yeah, okay. Let's break. It's WBZ. Boom. So you can talk. Yes, I can. I will and I do. Bradley J. When you listen early in the morning. Jay Talk. You are locked up to WBZ. WBZ News Radio 1030. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Turn on your radio. You've got me listening to this. Turn it on. Bradley J. Oh, you're a smooth talker. You are. You are. This is a Bradley J. on BZ Jay talking. You talk the talk. Do you walk the walk? WBZ News Radio 1030. WBZ here with Anthony Samarco talking about Jamaica Plain for now. And this really great book. This feels especially substantial. I don't know the, the way they printed it up. I like it. It is. Arcadia Publishing is a wonderful publisher, and they've done a book, on, it seems like, on every city, every town, every village in the United States. They started in England, and Alan Sutton who was the publisher, was somebody who really did create something that people could not only look at and remember, but in some ways these photographs are things that allow us to share our memories. Well, the book I have is called Images of America, Jamaica Plain, and it's 128 pages, and it has all sorts of photographs. It goes the gamut in some ways. Early Jamaica Plain, the great estates, places of worship, and of course, streetcar suburb. And one of the books you have is Jamaica Plain Then and Now. And as I said, Charlie Rosenberg was the photographer for that book. And what we did was to look at the neighborhood and try to chronicle how it had evolved. And sometimes these grand estates, like the Hallowell House, which actually was on Center Street, was a magnificent house. 
But today it's the site of the Acapulco restaurant. And I think a lot of times people have to realize that within a hundred years, it's gone the gamut from a magnificent 18th century country estate into one of the best Mexican restaurants in the city. What do you eat when you go to Acapulco? Do you have a go-to dish? Well, usually I try all sorts of different things, but they do a chicken mole that is just... Chicken mole? Chicken mole. Okay. Now, you had to realize, this is a place that's family-owned, it's family-operated. They also have a place in Chelsea. But this is a husband and wife and their son, and it's been a mainstay for me, at least, for 25 years. I absolutely love it. I have to go tomorrow night. You know, groceries are so expensive now that it almost makes economic sense to go out to eat at a place like Acapulco. Well, Acapulco is not only freshly prepared foods and things of that sort, there's a sense of an ambiance. I mean, it's a Mexican-American restaurant, but there's also a sense of welcome. Every time I get a big smile... I'm very quiet because usually it's after I've actually taught college. I might be grading papers while I'm eating, but it is the most pleasant thing. But, you know, it's not just Mexican food. You have Thai restaurants. You have Indian restaurants, fish restaurants. And in some instances, each of these places are things that not only provide wonderful, delicious food, but it's also that you can actually stroll the street afterwards. Yeah. And the stores are open. And it's a sense of community. And then there's Ten, ten Tables, another restaurant. Yes. So we might as well talk about, we get to talk about whatever we want. Food is there's, wonderful. There's ten Tables. Tell me about Ten Tables. Well, Ten Tables, we were there a couple of years ago, and it was actually very, how one might say, tight. Ten Tables, meaning there are ten tables. Only ten the tables. food was absolutely delicious. I mean, I had this um, onion soup that was... Really, I could tell. It was wonderful. I make it myself, but I was really impressed. Then I had a piece of fish afterwards, a halibut, that I thought I was astonished at how delicious it was. But the concept is it's a bistro, and it's a very small space. It's lively. There's noise. People are conversing. And you say to yourself, this is what truly life is all about, a good glass of wine or a drink, a good meal, and, of course, a sense of almost camaraderie. Yeah, the very community, not, local right, kind of vibe there. But not the fact that you're chatting with the other people. Sometimes one does. But the idea is that it's a sense that you are part of it, and it's something that's really quite fun. It's nice to be in a group of people that are getting along. True. And I think that's one of the things we always want, not just in a restaurant, but in life in general. Let's talk to Denise in Maryland. Well, we're getting a lot of... Uh Far-flung folks. Denise, hello. Say hi to Anthony. Hello, Anthony. Hello. Oh, well, hi. Hi, Denise. I was, I what, was <laughs> what, can we, what can we do for you? Well, I was calling, actually, to talk to Bradley because um, I worked at the Hawk and Dove restaurant down in Washington, D.C., and I Actually, that well, that's, we're, we're doing something else right now. Why don't you call me after, you know, another time? We're talking about, with Anthony, our guest, about Jamaica Plain. So thanks for checking in. Check in uh, with that one another time. Well, speaking of restaurants, one of the things in Jamaica Plain was at the Arbaway, they had a Howard Johnson's. And this was actually at Forest Hills Avenue, right on Route 203, Morton Street. 
And the idea was that the Howard Johnson's was opened, and it was a full restaurant, orange roof, you know, turquoise blue shutters. (laughs) But it was something that really was, again, one of the chain restaurants of the Howard Johnson. Where was it exactly? Well, if you know where um, Forest Hill Station is, you take Morton Street, and right at the corner of what is Forest Hills Avenue, the avenue leading to Forest Hill Cemetery, was... Uh, Howard Johnson's. It's now a senior living care center. And later in the 1980s and 90s, it became the Arborway restaurant. And it was really quite good. I went there not only for the Howard Johnson's, but also the Arborway. And later it was redeveloped into senior housing. So I think in a lot of ways, you see a lot of change just in a century. But it's also quite fun. Back to the book on Jamaica Plain, your book on Jamaica Plain. Right in the beginning is a really great photo taken from, it's interesting, it's of the elevated railway, but it's taken from a point above the elevated railway. Isn't that wonderful? That's from the collection of the Jamaica Plain Historical Society. And if you notice, it's not just the elevated railway, but you're looking into Boston and you see the high rises of the city in the distance. I love that photograph because it shows the elevated railway not only how they straddled Washington Street and Jamaica Plain, but how the train itself provided ease of transportation. I mean, I don't know about you, but I remember when one could take the train for 10 cents. And I took that train in my high school years out to Forest Hills all the time. And I would think in some ways, this was something that really did connect the city to the annexed suburban towns. And as Jamaica Plain was annexed in 1874, you began to see in some ways the elevated railway was the normal thing. I like this point of view, the point of view of this photo, because you can see the track beds, right? wooden track beds. Yes. I love that wooden thing. It is. It's beautiful. Did, but the steel girders were something that were enormous. They were the size of a person. Did you ever... Have a fire on these? I mean, there's sparks, there's wood. Was there uh, a fire on the I'm sure there was. I, I never saw anything that would have actually been destroyed, but the sparks could have started something quickly. But don't forget, the they are wooden ties, but these ties are actually covered in, um, I, I don't know if the word is creosote, and they basically are something that's almost impervious. They're like petrified wood. Okay. It sounds like they could burn in a moment, but I think because they were permeated with oils and tar that they did not actually burn. Also in the book you have, uh, in the last minute of this hour, a photo of an electric streetcar in 1912. The, this book focuses on transportation quite a lot. It is. And Frank Cheney, who recently died, was somebody who was a dear friend. He was a very nice man who lived in Plantation, Florida. He would send me photographs for whatever book I was writing. And it was just incredible, some of the things. But you had to realize horse-drawn streetcars were phased out in 1888. In 1889, the city of Boston electrified all of its streetcars. And it was something that revolutionized the hygienic aspect of the city. Can you guess why? I cannot. Horse-drawn streetcars would leave road apples. Oh, of course. <laughs> road so apples. By doing the electrification of the streetcars in 1889, you began to see in some ways a more clean and 
you know, sanitary city. Any lectures coming up? We have about 20 seconds. No, actually, I took the summer off, and I don't begin until September 4th when I begin teaching at the Boston University Metropolitan College, The History of Boston. And then for the months of September, October, and November, I seem to have a lecture every night in the week. Well, Anthony, thank you. And in honor of our Hyde Park uh, night, ten I mean our uh, Jamaica Plain night tonight, we're going to go have some Thai food or something in Jamaica Plain soon. Sounds good to me. Beautiful. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus